0: Learn more at marines.com.
2: Football Social Daily. Premier League Updates.
1: Sheffield United in the top 10. A crazy prediction at the start of the season, but after victory over Arsenal last night. How big a possibility is a top-half finish for the Blades? We'll be discussing that on today's Football Social Daily, so hit subscribe and never miss an episode. Also, we'll be taking a look at the Ballon d'Or nominees for this year, which were revealed yesterday. Seven Liverpool players made the cut, but strangely, so did Hugo Lloris, the Tottenham goalkeeper. And Tottenham are in action tonight, minus Lloris in the Champions League. We'll be previewing theirs and Manchester City's chances in the European competition this evening. I'm Niamh alongside me for the show. Today we have Phil Hudson. Hello, more You said you've been in, uh, been away in Centre Parks this weekend, so you've not been taking in too much of the action. But as a Newcastle fan, I imagine that's pro- probably the, the the situation you wanted to be in. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, I had as many shots on goal against Chelsea as our entire team on Saturday. So.
1: <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, and fresh from his top potato wedges tip on yesterday's show, we've got Jim Salveson. Hello. Hello. Hello, mate. Any Gordon Ramsay-esque information to feed us today? I'll share
2: my little tip about making shredded wheat later, if you like. He looks like he's dressed for a revolution today, doesn't he?
1: It's Che Guevara of a podcast yeah, world today. Got some he's got the combat on. fatigues on. Has he really? I can't I can't see that far below the desk. I have to take a peek in a minute, but let's get straight into the football. Arsenal lost 1-0 away from home at Bramall Lane last night against Sheffield United. Arsenal never keep a clean sheet away from home mm-hmm. in the Premier League. The stats say it, but are we doing... Chris Wilder, a disservice because Sheffield United, by all accounts, deserve the 1-0 win.
0: Well, let me just say yesterday on the podcast, I asked the question, why aren't Arsenal considered title contenders? And there's <laughs> and they, your answer. They, and they answered it last night. That's exactly why they are not considered um, title contenders, because they don't quite have the quality and they
1: failed to break down Sheffield United. Well, this is the argument. They, they do have the quality. They just don't have the quality as soon as they get on the coach or on the plane or on the train and get to their away games. They seem to do it at the Emirates consistently, but away from home, for whatever reason, Unai Emery cannot get Arsenal to win games or at least stop conceding goals on the road. I wonder whether it's something to do with the
0: way the just Sheffield wanna... United set up against them, though, more than anything else, because they were very compact, Sheffield United. Yeah. They looked to frustrate Arsenal in that game, and Arsenal don't have that player. They don't have Mesut Ozil, yeah. essentially, <laughs> which is the player they need. They needed that kind of player who can... Unlock a very static, deep lying defence. They've got the pace. They've got tricky wingers. Doesn't make any difference if you're
2: dead, if you're deep though, does it? But if driving. they had
0: that Mesut Özil, that Wan Mata, that David Silva, that has that little bit of trickery, that's the kind of player you want in that scenario, isn't it? They've they? not
2: got Sebius though, isn't? What isn't that what he's meant to do? Mm. Just, just on your point then, i I would like to stress that Arsenal. Did manage to keep clean sheets in James's part this year. Um, needless <laughs> I, to say.
1: I think it's something crazy, Phil. I'm not sure on the stats 100%, so come after me, Arsenal fans, if I'm incorrect here. But I think I read something yesterday that ahead of Sheffield United on Monday night, it was something like two out of 23 away league games that Arsenal have only kept a clean sheet in, wow. which is pretty damning. And if I back that up even more, and I know it's a different football club, but if we take a look at Unai Emery's away record for Sevilla in La Liga only, 66 games, 17 wins, 20 draws, 29 defeats, 108 goals against. In his final season at Sevilla, he didn't win any away games.
0: I'm slightly surprised about how home and away form is still has that much impact in football now because the variables are so much less than they were even five years ago. When you had more intimidating, close stadiums where you can imagine players might feeling the pressure a little bit more. But in terms of the pitch quality, it's pretty much a level now. There's yeah. a little bit of variation in pitch size, obviously. But I'm really surprised at the impact that has.
1: our home advantage is still an advantage. Of course it is. I think a team like Sheffield United need to make the most of that. If they had lost to Arsenal, that would have been 4 Home league defeats in a row, which would have been their worst run since 1965, and albeit they're a new team in the Premier League this season, so obviously it was going to be tough for them. But you got to win, you got to win your home games. Mm. Where's the cliche bell? You know, you have to if you if you want to stay up. What I'm um, quite excited about is the way that that Chris Wilder adapts his side, and we'll hear from him in, in a moment. But they deserved the victory by all accounts. Arsenal had a, a few chances. Pepe missed a real sitter last night, and for 75 million quid. Oh, I know he's not had too long in the Premier League, but he's going to have to start showing signs of quality soon. He Phil, looked decent though, Pepe last night. But he missed a sitter, Jim. But it he, doesn't matter whether you're decent or not. You well, can't people, miss players, from two yards. Players miss chances all the time. But he's not missed just one though. It's been it's been a couple of times now where he's had real good chances and he's messed it
2: up. I'd be more worried about Pepe if he wasn't getting into the position if he was hiding, which mm. he's not. Um, his, his record in France last year and to an extent the year before says he knows where the back of the net is and will find it. A lot of penalties. Not that many. He didn't take. He didn't take twenty two penalties last year. Took thirty five
1: goals and seventy four appearances. Nine, I think, penalties last year for Pepe.
2: But not. But not thirty five. So he scored thirteen league goals without penalties plus twelve assists. So, he, and that's not playing as an out and out striker. That's playing as a wide man in the front three. So he knows where the back of the net is. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And I, and I think he will c- come good for Arsenal. Mm. I, I agree that he hasn't started as probably as quickly as they'd like. Mm. And we're all going oh, seventy five million, but. You've got to take that figure with like 75 million is not 75 million. Well, is there a
1: reason that, that they're allowed to pay it over five years rather than up front of like, for instance, Maguire was paid 80 million up front by Manchester United? I'd
2: imagine that Maguire was paid for by Manchester United up front because Manchester United were desperate.
0: I think in general, deals are structured <laughs> over the course of the contract. That seems to be the way modern football pays. A lot, for a lot, a lot. I,
2: we don't. We pay all our play, all our transfer fees are paid up front because actually, we at least happy to receive fees like that, but he won't. To spend money like that, um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything unusual about that. Apart from that, Leicester knew they had Man United over a barrel and said, "Well, you got to pay his eighty million up front for Maguire." Um, I, he's still only twenty three, I think, Pepe. So it's not like it's not like he's twenty eight coming in, and, and like I say, seventy five million isn't.
1: It, it's not what it
0: used to be. It's not.
2: It's just like it's not an eye watering sum anymore. It's just a lot. It's just a decent amount of money.
0: But I think you're bang on. It's about the reaction of that player and players do on occasion take time to adapt to the Premier League. And we were talking about Fornells at West Ham. I yeah. still think Fornells is a decent player and I think he will be a decent player. But at the moment, he's not showing that form. What? But with Pepe, he isn't hiding. He is playing yeah. his game. And that attitude will serve him well. What? He will adapt and he will get there eventually. When you look at something example
2: like... example close to home for Arsenal fans. How did On start? Mm. When he went to Arsenal, Henri didn't score for like 12 games.
1: Uh, well, I suppose you could level the same at Didier Drogba at Chelsea. It took him yeah, a while to, to pl- get going.
2: Players do take a while to get going. I'm not saying that Pepe's is going to be Henri, by the way. Just, just just, to absolutely nail my... Out of context, get, Phil Hudson. Because yeah, that'll, be that'll be the clip that goes on Twitter later on. But uh, yeah, I'm, what I'm saying is, it, you know, great players can still take a little bit of time. Mm. Uh, Burkham didn't score for like, loads of games until he rifled one in from 30 yards.
0: And you do get players that will wilt under the pressure of a transfer fee like £72 million. Look at Alexis Sanchez at Manchester United. That is the big example of our a player is not coping with pressure. But Pepe doesn't look like he's going to be that type of player because he is still playing well. And he did play well. I say he played, he played well in the context of an Arsenal team who didn't play well. He looked like one of Arsenal's best players last night, despite the miss. And from a man who misses many open goals in his five-a-side football career, I can sympathise with Pepe missing that one.
1: Um, I think we need to give Sheffield United manager Chris Wilder a hell of a lot of credit for the way he set his team up last night. Here's Blades boss speaking to Sky Sports after the game.
3: We backed up a, a good performance of a good result, and we didn't... Four or five weeks ago, against the European champions, and we wanted to make sure if we played well against the top sides, we have to get something from the game, and three points is a great ward for the players. We can't open up, you know. I think it's absolutely crazy that people think that we can just open up against Arsenal. You saw two or three times first off, how quickly they counted and what ability some of their players have got where they've skipped round our challenges as if they were not even, not even there. So, you know, if, if, if people had watched us in, in the Championship last year and we tried to play, we tried to play our own way. We wanted to stick to our identity this year. We, we knew we had to, to tinker and, and, uh, and alter the, uh, the approach in certain certain areas and key areas, and especially in the middle of the park. You know, we played two midfield players last year. We knew we couldn't do that this year. Uh, but I think we've got the balance right, and uh, you know we've not been as clinical as we, sh- we should have been, you know, with the chances that we've created. And yeah, we try we try to play when when we can, and we just you know we try to win a game of football, whatever means, you know. And if has to go long, it has to go long. If you have to try and. Break the press. We'll, we'll break the press, and uh, you know we've got some talented boys that have been on the journey from 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 League One, and now they're, they're playing the trade in, in the Premier League and, and Arsenal at home and, and winning. It's, as I said, not the, the biggest result in the club's history, but it's a, it's a fantastic one and great reward for everybody uh, connected to the football club. Cause it's been quite a difficult journey getting to here.
1: That's Chris Wilder speaking to Sky Sports Monday Night Football after their one nil victory over Arsenal, and I wanted to throw this to you, Phil, because a few weeks ago you mentioned. Norwich City, and people saying that they were very brave and and fair play to them for sticking to their guns and playing the way that they played in the Championship. Chris Wilder has just said in that interview there, crazy for us if we were to open up against Arsenal. He also said that they wanted to stick to their identity, but to tinker the approach and try to win whatever means. Basically, he's saying points mean prizes. And against certain opposition, sometimes you have to adapt your game to get anything out of it.
2: Well, yeah, because that's what management is. That's just... That's just a sensible approach. That's his job, or any manager's job, is to come up with a system or a strategy to win a game of football. And you don't win points for being, you know, for looking great, for being a purist. You don't win points for entertainment. You you win points for winning football matches. Now, the best managers, you know, over time, put a side together. If you, if you're clopping, and your budget's unlimited, you can you can build, you can bring in players to complement the system you want to play to win your football match because you're the better side, in theory, so you're able to dictate that. The The role of the opposition manager in that instance becomes how do we overcome Liverpool mm. with the players that we have at our disposal? What's the best system in order to do that? And it's the same when you play Man Guardiola's Man City. For For Wilder, he's looking at, well, he hasn't got the budget to spend that Arsenal have got to spend, so how are we going to beat them? And you, you put a system together and you put your square pegs in your square holes and your round pegs in your round holes, and that's your job. That's what he's got to do. What you don't do is say, well, I want to play this way because I love it, and it, it's great for me. And against a side who who cuff you, who've got think, better players, I
0: think that is a, a a more and more of a rarity in football is having managers who look at the opposition and play to, uh, yeah. to counter that opposition. He's quite
1: pragmatic, Wilder, because he, yeah. d- he just simply said, if we've got to smash it long to get a result, that's what we need to do to stay up.
0: Yeah. Which, which, as Phil says, it is the way football management should go. But quite often we talk about managers not having that plan B, and we talked about England not having a plan B a few weeks ago. There's a lot of criticism again to talk about West Ham about Manuel Pellegrini not having anything beyond his one-three-two-four formation that he plays at the moment, which is proving really ineffective away from home. There isn't that plan B there. There isn't that kind of approach of going. This is how the opposition set up. How do we counter that? It's more occasion. This is our identity. This is how we play. So yeah, it's admirable that Chris Wilder is taking that approach and he is
2: viewing it. I think I think with West Ham, and, and I know it's a subject close to home for you, but I think they're sort of trapped a little bit because they're an in-between club. Mm. They're not Sheffield United or Watford or Burnley or Newcastle or you know a side that's going to be scrapping at the bottom of the Premier League, and they're not quite. Top six quality, top six quality yeah, yeah. to be able to dictate the game. So they're a it's little a bit, transitional so period. yeah, they're in a little bit sort of trapped between the Devlin DPC because they're going to places like Newcastle or, you know, wherever, and going, oh, we should we should be good enough to dictate this game, mm. and that's what Pellegrini wants to do. But the reality is that because they're possibly not quite there, that's where they're going to get caught out mm. if they're, if they're not right on it. Whereas, if you're Liverpool, Man City, they're probably now the only two, by the way who Are absolutely cast iron good enough to do what they want. Mm. The rest have probably all got to have a little bit of privacy mm. because Tottenham aren't there. Chelsea, actually, to be found, a Lampard might be getting there. Um, but Man-, Man United obviously aren't there. Everton aren't there. Uh, Arsenal. Aren't there either.
0: In terms of Chris Wilder to answer your original question, yeah, very impressed this season. Not a manager I knew a massive amount before going Shrek into this season. Insane. And he had this He's of, brilliant. He's and, brilliant. And I think people assume because he was like this no-nonsense Englishman, he looks like a traditional old-school long, ball long merchant, yeah, which exactly. he totally is. Everyone isn't. assumes that. But he but can no. do that
1: if he wants to. I think that's the point he was making. You've got to be adaptable in this league and I think yeah. three out of the last four seasons promotions. And it's interesting you, you
2: raised our old school English. It's like Dice. Sean yeah. Sean Daesh. Joey Barton used to do a podcast before he became Fleetwood manager, where he interviewed uh, sports people, political figures, and it was really, really interesting. And he did his first one was with Sean Dice, and Dice came across it amazingly, absolutely amazingly, different levels of sort of thinking that he's clearly brought in from business community, you know, political. He, he reads lots, and he, he, it couldn't be further removed from this media persona of him that he's just like. Oh, you know, with his gravel voices. Oh, that's gonna, it, isn't it? We're going to pack, we're gonna pack it in shoot. the mixer and all. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's, he, I was so impressed, like from just an hour of listening to him. It's, yeah, it's in, and that's the level now. Yeah, that's absolutely. the level mm-hmm. that you've got to be at.
1: Absolutely. And Chris Wilder, it Take it'll mean, note, Steve Bruce. It, it'll, yeah, well, it will mean more to Wilder being uh, a Sheffield United supporter as well, which is obviously what everyone yeah. says about him. Said at the top of the show, just before we go to a quick break, uh, Fergal Brennan predicted that Sheffield United could finish in the top ten. They're now ninth in the Premier League table. I mean, I, I still don't think they'll finish in the top 10.
0: That but is, how
1: a, foolish a prediction is that looking now? It, everyone sort of ridiculed Fergal at the start saying, Fergal, you don't know what you're on about, mate. It's still about survival for Sheffield
0: United. I agree. It, it's still about getting that magic 40 points and staying up. And if they achieve anything above that for their first season back in the Premier League, brilliant. And Chris Wilder would have done an amazing job. But at the moment, the focus is survival. Top 10, I don't think they'll be up there. I mean, they're not going to be, it doesn't look like they're going to be fighting relegation towards the end of the season, but they're not going to be top 10.
1: i said they'll surprise a few and hopefully this Arsenal yeah. result is, is enough to, to warrant that. Can I just say the other person that's
0: impressed me over the last few games and last night, Dean Henderson looks like an absolute quality keeper and he's got a big decision to make with De Gea selling a new contract at Manchester United in terms of what he wants to
1: he did let the ball through his legs against about, Liverpool, I was though. just to bring up the <laughs> Van goal.
0: He, he made a mistake against Liverpool, but in a, again, in a game that, bit, that he was very mistake, good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, and he looks like a quality keeper, and he's not going to be number one at Manchester United because De Gea has got a new contract, as I said. He's better than sitting at number two, and if he yeah. wants to be England number one, which should be his aspiration he's going to want to move
1: in the summer. He's got time on his side as well. So congratulations to Sheffield United beating Arsenal 1-0 on Monday night in the Premier League. Time for a quick break now here on Football Social Daily. But afterwards, we'll be talking about the Ballon d'Or nominees for this year from the Premier League, as well as previewing the Champions League action tonight.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast out there. Make sure you hit subscribe and you'll never miss another show. I'm Niall, we've got Phil and we've got Jim in the studio with us today. And let's talk about the Ballon d'Or. Everyone seems to be obsessed with this, don't they? The Ballon d'Or, which is exactly why we're going to be talking about it. (laughs) Um, Nominations from the Premier League. Liverpool, seven players nominated. Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jorginho Vinaldum and Alisson have all been chosen from Liverpool. Five-man City players, Sterling, Mares, De Bruyne, Silva and Aguero are on the list. And for Spurs, Hyungmin Son and Hugo Lloris. Just an initial reaction to those names that I've read out there. Some of them, I'm thinking... That's a bit of a surprise.
2: I'm quite surprised you didn't read Van Dyke's name because I'm pretty sure he's on the list.
1: Van Dyke is on the list. Yeah, he's right at the top. I <laughs> completely yeah. missed him. Van Dyke is also on the list, everyone. Panic averted, disaster averted Liverpool fans.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously Steve McNaughton's campaign to get Alisson <laughs> the recognition he deserves is, is paying off. Um, I understand that he's currently lobbying uh, international coaches. That's where he's been. Yeah, that's why he's been off for the last weeks. He's lobbying international coaches to cast their votes towards Alisson. Um, look... The Ballon d'Or is football's Eurovision. I'm sorry, like it's. I don't. I. We all know realistically that who's going to be there or thereabouts in the top top five sort of votes, but you do always get like some really rogue votes, and like various international captains have said, the vote that was reported to me isn't who I actually voted for either. So I take the whole thing with a massive pinch of salt. Hugo Lloris. Someone's obviously gone. a World Cup winning captain. And oh, he Tottenham got the Champions League final, and that's that's praiseworthy. I think it's a bit different to that. I
0: think the Ballon d'Or has dropped down the pecking order recently because FIFA have taken the best and gone. This is our own thing now, and the Ballon d'Or is essentially a French football magazine
1: <laughs> doing their own award ceremony. <laughs> it, it certainly is. Yeah, and let me just say this: then people say Hugo Lloris is on the list, Son's on the list from Tottenham. Where's mm-hmm. Harry Kane? Yeah, and Paul it, Pogba's not on the list. Not... Neymar is not on the list. Certainly Harry Kane should have been included. But for me, like the
0: Ballon d'Or now is the ex-girlfriend that you split up with that is trying to win you back, kind of posting attractive pictures on Facebook and going, look at me, I need a bit of attention now, rather than actually being a serious <laughs> footballing competition. <laughs> well, she's
1: gone between Messi and Ronaldo to now Luka Modric, well, so that's, that's some it, but might but say but a downgrade that, in that it, sense. In
0: 2018, Luka Modric was not the best player in the world. It was Messi-Ronaldo. They should have, They should have... Crowned one of them, the Ballon d'Or winner. They didn't because getting Luka Modric gets the headlines. That was the the big controversial decision. It was purely done out of it's not a it it's not a serious thing anymore. I don't think. And they just need to get that focus. And including someone like Hugo Lloris, with the utmost respect to Hugo Lloris, he says
1: before disrespecting him massively. He is not one of the best 30 players in the world. Well, 30 players named. Liverpool make up seven of those players. A further five from Manchester City, further two from Spurs. Seven players for Liverpool. That's the most in terms of representation from any one club on the list. Do they deserve seven nominations? Have they been that good throughout well, the course of this They are the champions
2: year? of Europe. Are, are, so, do so they, yeah. They deserve seven they got 97 Premier League points, mm. which would have won the league any year but the last two years. They're the champions of Europe. They blazed the trail in Europe. Yeah, they're the they're the best team in Europe. And we so have to con- you're going to see a higher percentage than than you otherwise would. I, I think Robertson's quite unlucky to be fair to not make it eight. Mm. And we have to
0: consider how we weight the Premier League in terms of significance as well. And in this country, there is a certain almost disregard for European competitions <sighs> above below domestic competitions. The Premier League is priority. Everyone loves the FA Cup. And then the Champions League and the Europa League are kind of like ah, we'll do alright on that if we can. So, as far as we're concerned, it doesn't maybe feel as significant as Manchester
2: City's achievements last season. But as far as Europe's concerned, Liverpool are the best side. Yeah, that's, completely. So yeah, Man City won the treble, but no one gives a shit in Europe. And this isn't this isn't an English award.
1: It's not an official award either, is it? It's, it's rewarded no, as Jim it's says a, by a by a French uh, needy ex girlfriend. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but so.
2: it's but it's about opinions. So. I'd love to know who thought Larisse. I'm not even choosing the best 30 goalkeepers in the world, but I'd love to know who who thought Larisse was worthy of a place on the shortlist. But it could just be ceremonial. Mm. It could just be, you know, the fact that it's a French football mag- magazine or French paper, whatever. Same, France World Cup captain.
1: Yeah. Uh, Abam also on the list. We must say, well done to him. He's been very, very good. 49 goals in 75, I think, Arsenal appearances. So. Even though he didn't score last night against Sheffield United, congratulations to him for being nominated. Like I said, I missed Virgil van Dijk's name off the list. He was right at the top of the list. I don't know how I missed him. Will he be missing out on the award or do you think that it is his to lose at this moment in time? Because it seems like all of the pundits and all of the commentators are suggesting that van Dijk is going to be the Ballon d'Or winner this year. It's
2: very much the narrative, isn't it? If you if you think, if you follow the, the line of logic that it's all about the Champions League, which is what we've basically said is the justification for yep. so many Liverpool players being in there, and Van Dijk is perceived to be the player that turned Liverpool from a decent Champions League side into the Champions League side mm. over the last two years. Then it follows that you should probably win, really.
0: But who won the best? Now was it was it Van Dijk or was it Messi that won that in the end? I can't remember now. Do you know this what? Because, significant because, because the these, these, are, these things, things I remember. don't
1: really care about them. No, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. I don't. Maybe because it's not. I, I don't support a Premier League club. Maybe if I supported Liverpool, I would care a lot more. Whether well, do you, you care I... about the League One team of the year? No.
2: <laughs> so, so it's not about that then, is it? You, look, it has its place. Everyone's got to adjudicate everything. It's like the Oscars. But do you remember what won Best Film last year? Because I don't. I, I literally couldn't tell you. It, it, it matters to the players, and it matters to yeah. certain people. If it was involved with your club, you'd probably feel differently about it. I think there is a place for it. I think that various players deserve recognition but it's no different to the PFA player of the year award. I couldn't tell you who won that the last 5 years either. No.
1: And football's I- a team game. It's <laughs> yeah. all about the main trophies that you win, Nailed isn't on. it? Uh, yeah. Messi won the award by the way with 46 rank points whatever the go. hell that means. Virgil uh, van Dijk came second then in that case did. And, and Jürgen Klopp won the manager award I- I'm led That's to believe right which is fair enough isn't it? Um okay, let's move on now to Champions League action. We mentioned Hugo Lloris and Jungmin min Son being nominated for the Ballon d'Or award. Uh, but there won't be any Hugo Lloris in action tonight for Spurs. Of course, he's out with an elbow injury. That'll keep him out until at least the new year. But Spurs taking on Red Star Belgrade at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium tonight. Maurizio Pochettino has supposedly admitted, according to the Mirror, that he feels under pressure. But actually, it's not quite like that. He said, well, everyone knows when you perform badly as a manager, what happens next, a.k.a. The sack is what he was referring to. But he also went on to say, but there's a reason I don't have any grey hairs on my head because I don't think about these sorts mm. of things. So Maurizio Pochettino will know that Tottenham haven't been good enough. I said that the one game you want after the international break is Watford because they're bottom of the league. They've not won a game. It's one game you want to try and get yourself back on the straight and narrow, back to winning ways. Didn't happen. one one draw. Last 10 minutes, Deli Alli pops up with a goal. Uh, against Red Star Belgrade... It, does this, in a weird way, become a half-the-win game for top? I don't think Pochettino's
2: future will hinge on this game. No, I agree with you. I don't think it's future no, it. But in terms of, if, if they were to lose to Red Star, it's a major problem for their Champions League qualification. Yeah,
0: and you would expect them to win, but you would have expected them to beat Watford
2: as well at the weekend. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think... I mean, <laughs> Red Star are a, a totally different proposition to... Playing them in Belgrade, let let's be let's be dead honest about that. Playing these Eastern European teams away from home is notoriously difficult, but playing them at home tends to be relatively straightforward. And I think Tottenham will win tonight.
1: Uh, they've got Liverpool next in the Premier League, then Everton, then it's the away leg at Belgrade. That's the quite
2: a, that's quite a tough run of games.
1: Yeah, it is tough three <laughs> games. Yeah, um, which is kind of why I suppose I'm suggesting that Pochettino might feel that he has to kind of get some points in the bank. Obviously, different for Champions League. I
2: think I think Everton's a bigger game for them.
0: I Do, think they need to win tonight, don't they? In order to, if they don't win tonight, they can't qualify.
2: I don't know if they're out, but they've got problems because they they didn't beat Olympia Argos. two two. They drew with the yeah, Olympia. yeah, and they got hoofed off Bayern. So they've got to go to Munich. That'll be you can you, they can't expect to take any points from that.
1: They can afford a draw tonight against Red yeah, Star. So as this long
2: is, as they as long as they won in Belgrade and yeah. then beat Olympia Argos at home eight points probably just about gets them Well, through.
1: this is how Group B looks in the Champions League. Bayern Munich top on six points. Then it's Red Star in second with three points. Tottenham and Olympiacos both have one point in third and fourth place. So at this moment in time, Bayern and Red Star will be going through. Uh, obviously, there's still games, Quite a lot of games to be played. To play. So, yeah. um, But but like we say, Tottenham, you'd expect them to beat. Red Star, Belgrade, but I expected them to beat Watford and they didn't, so... You,
0: you would expect them to do a job. As Phil says, it's a very different team to when you play these Eastern European teams at home compared to where you go away. Is Pochettino going to get sacked if he loses? No. Is it going to save his job if he wins? Nope. No. <laughs> Either way, it's a little Everton's bit... Everton's a bigger game for
2: his job security.
0: Yeah, completely.
2: Because Liverpool, if they get beat off Liverpool, everyone go, well, it's Liverpool. But Everton, who are having a stinker of themselves, if they if they lose to Everton, everyone will be like, well, he, he can't... He, you know that that's a bigger game for the doubts about Pochettino. But mm. they'll win tonight. I mean, they'll win tonight. They'll go ahead of Belgrade in the group, and then you'd be looking at going, Well, they're probably going to qualify because they'll have Olympiacos at home, and so all who they'll beat. And then all they'll really need to do is not lose, is not lose in Belgrade, to go through with eight points.
1: I would, uh, I would happily agree with you that I don't think Poch is in danger. But I had to throw the question out there just <laughs> for the fun of it. Um, what about Manchester City? Then they take on Atalanta, the Serie A side. Uh, who qualified for the Champions League last season, albeit had a, a very, very good season uh, in the Italian league. However, they've not won a game in the Champions League yet. They have minus five goal difference. They conceded four against Dinamo Zagreb, who are second in the group. So City at top of Group C with six points. Dinamo Zagreb have three. Shakhtar Donetsk have three as well. And Atalanta are bottom. You'd say, again, r- routine win for Manchester City. The benefit for City fans is that Walker and Otamendi are back and expected mm. to start.
0: Decent team. And they're doing all right in Syria, as third. you said. They're currently third in the league, scored the most goals, but they don't seem to have adapted to the Champions League in yeah, any way it's, whatsoever.
2: It's the Norwich conundrum, <laughs> isn't it? They 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 are basically in a league that's famed for Catanaccio and you know Uber defense. They are they are Keegan's Newcastle. They are just like leaky. Are, they're fox. Newcastle, they're fox Norwich. I mean, twenty-one <laughs> goals scored, thirteen conceded, so they're just they're just saying, "Well, we'll score more goals than you," which is fine by the way. But they won't be, be able to do the that against Manchester, you, City, but can't do it it, against Manchester <laughs> City, can't against Manchester City. So, like, I expect Manchester City to, uh, good, good game, I would suggest for um, a goals goal or bet.
0: Do you, if you Pep Guardiola, do you respect him on their Syria A performances though or on their Champions League performances? Because we know that Guardiola is suffering with injuries at the moment. As you say, Walker's back on a to Mendy back whether he'll play or not is another issue John Stones was on the bench at the weekend Laporte's a long way off coming back ended up playing no centre backs at the weekend was paid Rodri and Fernandinho exactly they, which is I mean, you might argue that the way City play they don't really need centre backs because they don't give the ball to the opposition so why do you need to defend when you don't give the ball away but at the same time how do you treat that game do you go well we're going to go all out we're going to play first team or do you rotate
2: slightly I think that if it was me, I would be inclined to play it properly because qualifications is important. Mm. So they're going to qualify from the group, realistically, but they could do it in the next two games. In fact, if results go that way, they could argue, no, they can't quite do it tonight. But they're going to do it in the next two games because they'll have 12 points. Then you can rest. Qualify as group winners, then rest them. I know they've got problems now, which, by the way, let's you know that that's a joke to have... No centre-halves when you've got a limitless budget and all the best young kids in the world in your academy mm. to have to play two defensive midfielders there is a bit strange. Well, dude, one... Losing
1: company has been mm. a massive blow for them. We knew it would be, but in terms of just having replacement centre-backs and um, Felipe Sandler's out on loan at Anderlecht, who's another youngster, so they've got Eric Garcia. Why didn't Pep Guardiola play Eric Garcia? Is he not? Why isn't he playing that? I thought that was a very strange decision not to play him. Not just because... I mean, he might have had more
0: faith in playing Rodri and Fernandinho at centre-back at the weekend. But what does that tell you? Uh, What does that message that give to players like Garcia and Phil Foden to a certain extent? Even if we are down to our bare bones in that position, you're not going to get a game in my team. And there seems to be a bit of justified criticism towards Pep Guardiola that he isn't playing these kids that are coming through the academy at the moment. And that just kind of underlines the idea that these young players aren't going to get an opportunity in that city side.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of debate as well about the fact that Phil Foden was nominated for the Golden Boy Award. for it's friend... the Golden Boy Award? It's, it's <laughs> it's, 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 if you're not, it's the under-21 <laughs> yeah, it's the version under... of the Ballon d'Or, yeah. effectively. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, so players like Jadon Sancho boy. and uh, Matisse DeLict have been nominated uh, in the same bracket as Phil Foden. Matisse DeLict Ligt, everyone knows what he's done with Ajax mm. and moved on to Juventus. Jaden Sancho, one of the brightest wingers in Europe, uh, in the same award as Phil Foden, who started four games last year. So uh, there's been a bit of uproar about that, but I'm sure Foden will come good. Uh, Manchester City's upcoming fixtures post-Atalanta, Aston Villa at home, then a back-to-back home games against Southampton in cup and league before another trip to Atalanta. And then following that, early November, Liverpool away and Chelsea at home. So it's starting to get a little bit tasty in the Premier League. Thank you very much, gents. But before we go, we have had a question uh, from someone who listens to the podcast every single day. So thank you very much to Paulo Erez, who listens from South Africa. Thank you very much. Uh, he says he's got a theory of what's happening at Manchester United. So I'll throw this over to you, gents. He says Oli's been used to do all of the dirty work by the board because the board know he's a fan favourite and Manchester United will give him time so that when they have a new manager, most of the unwanted players will have been shifted out and some of the new players brought in is enough for the new managers to work with and build on. If Oli does well, then the board and Woodward look great and everyone's happy and if he doesn't, as things are currently, they know that ex-United players will stand up for Oli and try to claim things down to give Oli more time to fix things. Sounds like a bit of a conspiracy that he's uh, he's building here. I think it's, he's got a lot of time on his hands in South Africa. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's overthought this a
2: lot. I, I've got, I, I, it, does,
1: it doesn't stop there, Phil. Oh, sorry. It doesn't stop there. At the end of the season, regardless of where Manchester United end up and when Pochettino is available at the end of the season to sign him, he'll have the base of a decent team and take United forward. We'll sign Christian Eriksen and Kane from Spurs during next year's transfer window. Let me know your thoughts. Um, I, I think he's given
2: Edward a little bit too much credit there. What he is right about, to an extent, is that Solskjaer's a bit of a free hit for Man United. Yeah. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a parallel, though, between what happened when Keegan went in Newcastle the second time under Ashley, and it's great to bring in a massive fanfare. You immediately get the fans on side, and everything's hunky-dory. Where it goes wrong, and where Mike Ashley went wrong in Newcastle, is he, he gambled on Keegan's popularity and then massively underestimated Keegan's popularity when he wanted rid of him. And that's that's the gamble you take with something like this because then you're into fan revolt. If mm. if the fans think Solskjaer gets shafted, it's it's going to be a major, major problem. He, he He's right in what he says in that he's a, he's a bit of a free hit because if it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, then they're not going to be turning up with pitchforks just yet. So he's got a bit of time to do the job that they need him to do. He's also right in what he says is that Pochettino would take them forward. We, we've we discussed that at length. Pochettino, absolutely for me, is the man for Manchester United. I'm, I'm not going to brook any argument on that whatsoever.
0: I think you're right, and I think Paolo's right to a certain extent as well. The difference between Keegan and Solskjaer is the managerial heritage there, and I think most Man United fans, whether they love Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or not, appreciate that he doesn't have the pedigree that should have got him that Manchester United job in the first place. What Paolo correctly points out is that his status not only amongst fans, but his status amongst his buddies in the media, Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, defends him a little bit. It adds him a little bit of protection because they're not putting the boot in straight away as maybe they would with other managers, and that is buying him a little time. I think where that theory falls down is actually the way Solskjaer has cleared out the Deadwood, the kind of brutal, if you like, decisions he's made in moving out players is actually one of the
1: things he is getting credit for. Mm. So you kind of don't need someone to well, come well, in and do that because forget. that is part of the job. Solskjaer moved Fellaini on when there wasn't even a transfer window just sold him to China yeah. where the, where the transfer window was open. So it just got got rid. So you know that's uh that's one of those Did things. Did also
2: give new context Ashley Young uh, and whats his face, Phil mm-hmm. Jones. <laughs> I think
1: it's more <laughs> will, he, like... will Will Solskjaer sign or Will United sign Ericsson and Kane as per Paolo's no. suggestion. No.
2: Not unless Poch- not not for Solskjaer they may, end up, they may end up signing them if, if Pochettino goes there, but I don't think they will. I, I think Pochettino, certainly within the case of Kane, I think I think Pochettino would would prefer a, a different type of striker. He's fallen out with Ericsson. We know that from yeah. what's happened at Spurs and with Harry Kane. There's no way Harry
0: Kane would go to Manchester United, not just because it wouldn't be the step up currently that he's looking for, but I don't believe Kane would sign for another Premier League club. I think Kane will leave Spurs and he'll go to a different country. His love for Tottenham is so big it's to the extent that he would not want to play for another he Premier couldn't League cheat club. on Spurs is no, what you're saying it's, it's a rare thing in football but I genuinely believe we wouldn't see him playing in the Premier League for another team
1: Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much, Phil, as well. And thank you to Paolo for his question. If you've got a question, send us your question. We'll read it out on the podcast or even get you on to ask it yourself if you want, at the Sports Social on Twitter. So make sure you follow us on there. Also, make sure you dive into our Amazon Alexa skill. Just ask Sports Social for the latest news on your Premier League team and you'll get it straight to your device as well. But that's it for now. We'll be back tomorrow with more.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.